Hello and welcome to Grace Life Duras. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello again and welcome back to Grace Life Duras, where we are continuing sharing on Christmas. And it's week two um, in our series, and it's very exciting to be sitting down and sharing this word with you. Grab a Bible, a pen, grab a notebook, uh, maybe some coffee. I've had coffee already. I've got my water here with me. And then let's get ready to dig into the word together. So first of all, I just want to pray for us and lead us in a time of prayer before we start. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are here with us and thank you that as we get into the word together that we will discover who you are and what you are doing, not just in the scriptures and in the word, but also what you are doing in us and through us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can surrender to you and just receive from you the word of power and of truth that you've got for us. We glorify you for this. We just want to celebrate who you are and we thank you for Christmas that we can remember the good news that a Savior has been born for us and was born for us, and that it's about the gift of salvation that we so, so, so appreciate and that we are so grateful for, not based on our works or our goodness, but based on your goodness and your good work. Amen. Wonderful. So last week, Shane kick-started our Christmas series and showed us that there is a reality to the scriptures that is based on accurate historical evidence. This is not a fairy tale, like I like to say, Christmas is not a fairy tale. We cannot put it in the category of Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and all those things. No, no, no. Christmas is about a reality that is based on accurate historical evidence. This really happened. And now so we continue in that same mind as we look for the reason for our hope. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15, Peter instructs us with this scripture by saying, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So when people ask us why we celebrate Christmas, it's important that we should have an answer, and an answer that makes sense, and doesn't include Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Christmas Father. So we're going to get stuck into Luke 1, verse 26 to, 20, uh, to 45, which is where the angel comes and tells Mary that she will conceive and bear a son, and that this will be by the power of the Holy Spirit, because she is a virgin. And so a good question to ask ourselves is, um, because we've become very familiar with the account, uh, we maybe have celebrated it year by year, or we've heard about it, or we've sang a song about it, or we have some history with it, we've become very familiar with it. We need to stop right there and ask ourselves, why is it important that there is a virgin birth? If this is more than a story, if this is accurate historical, um, um, accurate historical evidence, then why was it so important that a virgin would conceive? Well, we're going to look at that. <laughs> we're going to look at that. And I believe that it's going to give you reasons, again, to be excited about your Christian faith, if you are a believer, and reasons to put your faith in Christianity as a source of dependence and not just some story made up by old men many years ago. So why do we believe in the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ? Well, if we look in Luke's account, Luke 1, we see that an angel appears to a virgin and um, 
uh, her name is Mary and the promised child is given the promise of a child is given to her and she does ask how is this possible because she has not been with a man and the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will do this work and um, she then conceives when she believes um, and says that she's become a bond slave to the Lord so what we first of all know about the virgin birth is that naturally it's not possible um, yet we also know that without this no one could be saved in fact, the early church fathers believed it was essential. More importantly, they knew that the natural birth would dismantle and fall apart. Um, if there was a natural birth, it would completely dismantle the entire gospel and, the, and in turn also the good news about Jesus Christ. It would just make it an insignificant historical event. So why? Why is it so important that it's a virgin birth? Why is that important to the gospel? And how does this link to the supernatural salvation that God has brought through Jesus Christ? Well, we can look at Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 and even in Romans 5 verse 12 and many other scriptures to see that the seed of man cannot bring salvation. Why? Because man is corrupted. Mankind, I'm not talking about men, I'm talking about mankind has been corrupted. We were created in perfection. We were perfect as God had created us in his image. But we, mankind, fell, well, fell. We jumped into disobedience, obey, disobeying God's um, only command. And because of that, we gave authority to another voice, the voice of the enemy, the voice of Satan. And we gave him authority on the earth. And we also started what um, the scriptures would call sin, the sin nature, this nature that's separated from God, this nature that's not as God wills it to be. And that nature produces according to its own kind. As we see in Genesis, Ma um, Moses is already writing about salvation from Genesis 1. And one of the pictures we get in Genesis at creation is that each Create, recreates according to its own kind. What is it trying to tell us? That every sinner will produce a sinner. And there's no way around that, okay? And that's confirmed in many of the letters, many of the, the prophecies, many, everywhere in Scripture we see this. Man produces man. Sinful man produces sinful man. Why? Because we are born of a corruptible seed, not of the incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. So we'll link that in the next one. Um, so <clears throat> this is why the scripture teaches for a person to be saved, they must go from being in Adam, natural birth, to being in Christ, supernatural born again experience. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22. We see many examples in the Old Testament of this being um, shown even in shadows. For example, one shadow is the covenantial mark of circumcision. I loved how one writer put it. He said that while it's a symbolic um, sign for several reasons, it also aims to demonstrate man's sinfulness by marking the male's reproductive organ. It was a physical reminder to God's people that man's seed is a fountain of sinfulness, namely that sinful man can only reproduce sinful men. But more than that, it would remind God's people that salvation would not come by man's seed, but by the seed of God. Have you ever tried to be better, do better, live better, be a better leader, a better minister, a better mom, a better dad, a better whatever you want to say, and it doesn't work? Because we are leaning onto ourselves instead of leaning onto Christ in us if you're born again. If you're not born again, there's your problem. You cannot solve yourself. 
you cannot fix yourself. You can maybe meditate and become a slightly better version, but you cannot save yourself. Okay. And so let's look a bit. Uh, so uh, as you may or may not know, I had someone asking me this actually while I was teaching this, is that circumcision comes from the Bible. It was given to Abraham to confirm the covenant and the promise that was made to Abraham. God asked that each child, uh, each male child shall be circumcised on eight days old. And so it was a sign, as you see, it was a type and shadow. Today, when we have Christ, there is no more need to be circumcised. Why? Because Christ is the fulfillment of the circumcision. He circumcises our heart. By giving us his spirit, now we are circumcised from the heart. Hallelujah. Amen. So for all the Christians who are considering doing that, stop. You're not uh, fulfilling the scriptures. Christ has fulfilled the scriptures. So let's look at another scripture. So we're going to jump from where we are now. So imagine in your mind, you're there. The angel is speaking to Mary and he's speaking to her and he is promising the virgin birth, which means salvation is now being made possible by God and God alone. Wow. Awesome. Now, um, remember, or let me finish my point and then we'll go into that. So now, remember, about 700 years before that, the prophet Isaiah is speaking. And Isaiah gives a prophecy 700, maybe a bit more years before this account with the angel and Mary. Okay, let's read what he says in Isaiah 7 verse 14. The prophet foretells this God's seed when he writes, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay? He is speaking about a new creation, able to keep the law perfectly, to give his life as a ransom for many, and to spiritually now reproduce others who were like him, the real Adam. Okay? Not like the first Adam who failed. Now, if we want to go even back even more, we can go back all the way to Genesis 3, verse 15, written thousands, a thousand or even more years, written a thousand five hundred years before, but taking place many years before the account with Mary and the angel. And what does what happens here? We know that mankind falls and the um, the serpent, the devil, um, is there and God speaks to the woman, to the man and to the serpent saying what's going to happen next because of sin entering into the world. And he says, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and his her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Interesting, the promise of the seed is given through a virgin's birth um, or a virgin birth because a female has no seed to produce children. So I'm not trying to be graphic. Don't think I'm trying to be graphic. Think about these words in terms of how the scriptures use them. And what God is saying is that the woman will need a seed that's not from her. Because women's bodies do not produce that. The male produces that. Okay. And yet it says there in the scriptures and between your seed and her seed, she has a seed which is given by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in both these accounts, in Isaiah 7 and in Genesis, these are impossible situations. And God promises an impossible answer in Isaiah 7 and in Genesis 3. In Genesis, mankind has just failed, causing, failed God, causing everything to become out of um, order and creating the mess that we live in today. 
In Isaiah 7, kings have drawn up against Ahaz the king, and he is so scared that him and his fellow men are shaking like trees with fear. And he doesn't even want to ask God for a sign, although the prophet commanded him to get to ask a sign. He says he will not. And God says, I will give you a sign. A virgin shall become pregnant. So now let's go back in, or forward in time. We go all the way back to where Mary is speaking to the angel. And let's listen to this encounter. In Luke 1, we read in um, verse 28 about, And coming in, he, the angel, said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salvation, the salutation this was. This is now the NASB, New American Standard Bible. So, firstly, we see here that Mary was alarmed, very perplexed, disturbed with this greeting. Interesting. She was not perplexed or um, this, uh, or alarmed or disturbed by the fact that an angel had just appeared to her. This seems to be quite... Um, uh, quite, it's something that she understood from the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. These things happen. She was very perplexed, however, about how he greets her. How does he greet her? Greetings, favored one. In those days, the greet, proper greeting would be shalom, which means wholeness to you. But this time, the angel says something different. He says, favored one, the Lord is with you. It was a statement that was familiar to Mary. Remember that Mary is a Jew, and although Jewish women were not allowed to be <coughs> skilled or trained <coughs> reading or writing, they were, however, brought up by their fathers, mothers, and in the Jewish community to understand who God is and to understand their his scriptures. Although they were, although they were not always allowed in the synagogues, in um, uh, everywhere in the synagogue, they were allowed into the synagogue to listen. And so Mary would have understood and, un, and known the scripture. She was not a fool. God would not have given her, his son to be raised by someone who didn't believe the scriptures. Okay, believe in the scriptures and were trained in or taught in them. Maybe not trained as the men were, but definitely taught. So the very first thing you have to think of when you hear this greeting is Gideon, which is in Genesis to Malachi. In Judges 6 verse 12, the angel appears to Gideon. And when he appears to him, uh, Gideon is scared, hiding. He doesn't want the enemies to find him. The enemies have taken over his country. And then an angel appears to Gideon and he says to him, the Lord is with you, a valiant warrior. The Lord first confirmed his presence. And this one encounter with Gideon changes a whole nation's future as he wages war against the armies of Midian. This is a greeting given to someone who was about to watch the Lord set people free from captivity through him, but not by him. Okay, it was not Gideon's strength that caused the final victory. And this one encounter kind of, I want to say, it's like the, the stone in the water and the ripple effect after that is a few other encounters with the Lord and then a victory. But this so this is the, the Lord is with you. But another thing you have, another encounter you have to think about is Jael. In Judges 5 verse 24, this woman is spoken of and Jael was a woman who was just what we would call today a housewife. But she was, she was more than a housewife. She had kept her house, but she also knew what was the, the environment she was in. Because the enemy king runs away from a battle. 
And in fact, Israel would have lost that entire battle if the king had got away. That is the, if you go and research a bit, that's how it worked. The king runs away and he actually, in running, he comes across Jael's tent and she welcomes him in and she says to him, come, you must rest. She gives him something to drink or eat. And then she says to him, rest. And he falls asleep. And what does she do? She grabs the peg of the, the tent. She grabs a hammer and she nails his forehead. She nails it into his forehead, killing him immediately. As he sleeps, you must think, whoa, that is insane. It is. But that woman understood something about war and about the battle. And I love that. She was 100% faithful to her household, but she understood something about the war and the battle. You know what? A prophetess writes about her in Judges 5 verse 24. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. Jael is called by prophetess the most blessed woman because she killed a king who was against the armies of God, giving them complete victory over the enemy. Wow, interesting. Okay, you also should think of Joshua. You know who Joshua is? He led the people of God into the promised land. And uh, in Joshua 1 verse 9, he is commanded by the Lord, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This leader was about to take more than 3 million people into the promised land. Then we think of Noah, Genesis 6, 7 to 8. The Lord said to Noah, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And in verse 8 it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because he found favor in the eyes of the Lord, his boat became the way out of destruction and he was part of God's plan of bringing salvation in the Old Testament. Another example of a greeting like this or an encounter like this is Moses in Exodus 33 verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name. This is what God says of Moses. I've known you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Whoa. Moses, for sure, did not deserve it. Um, he did not deserve to become the closest example to Jesus on the earth. And yet God chose him. And again, these words are given to one who was about to go and set or was busy with God's plan of setting people free. You think of David when we read in Acts about what they say about David in Acts in the New Testament. Listen to what they say about David. Acts 7 verse 46. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Even till today, David is considered the greatest leader of the Old Testament king. And he helped reveal to a nation what it's like to be a leader who has a heart that knows God and not just a man of religious obligation. Isn't that wonderful? So when she heard these words spoken by the angel, and we, we're going to continue listening to the words spoken by the angel, but those first words, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Her, her mind was perplexed and disturbed, not because this is some kind of new greeting. Be very careful for this. And before we continue, or let me read, the angel continues to say to her, so he speaks to her and he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This was not a new greeting. This was a different greeting. But she understood and recognized that this was something from scripture. But these 
these greetings, okay, were greetings that changed everything. Nothing stayed the same after that. Not for the person who it was given to and not for the nation who was involved in the, um, in, uh, at that time. That is incredible. This is where my warning would come in. We cannot and should not be moved by encounters with angelic beings or with encounters. Super, that's not how we are led. Mary was not moved by an encounter with an angelic being or by some supernatural encounter. As Christians, we are moved by the scriptures. Mary was moved by the understanding that this angel was bringing her a message from the scriptures that was accurate. Okay? We need, as Christians, it is a reality to be experienced. Absolutely. Our faith should be an experience. <clears throat> However, we are not moved by experiences. Because it can lead to deception. I've seen great deceptions because people are moved by experience and not by the word of God. We need to first of all be moved by the word of God and then trust the Lord that that is enough to lead to experience. Where we experience God's goodness, his favor, his manifestation of his grace and supernatural encounters. That becomes part of our reality. Um, but that is not what we live our lives by. We live our life by the bread of God, the word of the Lord. So, um, we see here in the second part of the angel's greetings, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, that it is a command not to be afraid. And that is needed, as it was in the case of Joshua. Do not be afraid. It's actually a command, you know. Um, after such a scriptural greeting that Mary just received, she needs to not be afraid. Why? Well, it was a reminder that it is the favor of God that was given to those who were not perfect. It's the grace of God who is given to those who could not do it. It was given to those who would simply do what God asked them to do. What is that? Isn't that so incredibly beautiful? This is, after all, the definition of true faith. When we understand it's not about us and it's got nothing to do with us, how I'm encouraging myself right now, <laughs> but when it has got to do with everything of the grace and the power and the favor of God working in us and through us, and so there was no reason for Mary to be afraid. So what do we take from this? We're going to summarize with three points. First of all, in our own lives, we should not be moved by spiritual encounters because it leads to destruction. In fact, in Galatians 1 verse 8, if you want to turn there for yourself, Paul himself warns us against this. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul is saying we are not to be moved by spiritual encounters, but by a revelation of the gospel or the message contained in the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, and also revealed to us through the letters, the New Testament. Experience alone will lead you to deception. We need to be rooted and grounded in our understanding of the message of the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just in the New Testament, but through all the scriptures. Okay, second thing. The greeting that perplexed her is a greeting that now belongs to the new creation. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and made him Lord of your life, because he is Lord, you just make him Lord of your life. If you have done that, then you are born again. 
never to be unborn again again <laughs> you have been born again you are a new creation and now this greeting is yours you know everywhere when we read the the letters in the new testament nowhere is there ever ever a statement that says you are a sinner saved by grace nowhere are you called when you believe a sinner no, when you believe you have become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, when you become a believer, you've become a saint. When you become a believer, you are declared by the scriptures that great grace is with you, peace is with you, God's glory is upon you, and his favor is for you. Look at Romans 5 verse 2 just as an example as we draw to a close. It says there in Romans 5 verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our instruction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. You know, almost every letter written to the churches confirms that we have grace and peace and that we are called saints of the God. Whether we act like it or not, when we realize who we are, it will make us act like that. Listen, first the angel had to tell Mary how God sees her. And that would lead to a positive response of faith. That would lead to her saying, I am the bond slave of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? So if this is not a reality that you are living in, then this is something you need to meditate on for Christmas. If this shocks you, this is something you need to get in. More than just the there's three wise men, what if there were three, there's shepherds and there's Jesus, Mary and the baby. There's something much deeper here. The reason for God becoming flesh was so we could experience a relationship with him that count us as favored, not as perfect, except perfect through his son, but that he declares us worthy because of the work of Christ. Hallelujah. That is very exciting. So the last point we can take out of this is because of her trust in the scriptures, she became part of the impossible work of God. Every one of those I've mentioned before, whether it be David or Joshua, Jael or Moses, became part of the story of God because they understood that there was a relationship toward God. They all came from impossible situations and yet, when they experienced God's call, a favor of blessedness, when they understood that who God is in relationship to them as a nation even many times, it changed everything. When we know who God is through the scriptures and through a revelation of the scriptures, we can also say yes to the plans of God in us and through us and really see the impossible become possible without needing to figure out what's going to happen next. May this encourage you and bless you in this Christmas season. May you celebrate it knowing who God is. May you also experience, as Mary did, in a very real way over this Christmas season, that the message from heaven towards us as his beloved child, children, is still, you are favored. You are his favored one. The Lord is with you and will never, ever leave you. You do not need to be afraid for you, beloved of God, have found favor with God. And if you are in a place this Christmas where you just don't know about God yet, you don't know about Jesus yet, you're still not sure about putting your faith in him, I want to tell you there is nothing, nothing, nothing better you could do this Christmas season. If you've heard enough and if you've been led to this teaching and you've listened to it all the way to the end, then the Spirit is drawing you to himself. And you need to bend your knee and just say, Lord, I receive you and I do not need to be afraid for what's next. All I need to know is that you have done this. You have made salvation possible through sending a Savior, making a way where there was no way that is not possible with man. 
you made a way, God, because you are good. And I receive it. And when you receive it, you become a whole new creation and your spirit becomes brand new. And you have been reconciled with God, not by your works, but by your faith in the work that God has done. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness once again. We want to thank you for the message of Christmas, that it's so much more than just a story, that it's a reality, that it's historically been proven. And that also, Father, that your scriptures are truly, as the psalmist said, a light unto our path, leading us and guiding us into the fullness of what you have for us, reminding us who you are and who we are because of what you have done. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Duras area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co. Dot CM.